Hey, Brian Burney here. Another episode of Eastman's Elevated coming at ya. Um, so this month at uh, Eastman's, we've got the gear guide going on. Uh, we've got subscriptions in there, some great logo gear, hats, sweatshirts, t-shirts, uh, a bunch of videos, and then subscription deals in there. Um, you know, if you buy three subscriptions, uh, they give you a Sitka, Moreno, Wool, um, pullover. It's like a hundred and fifty dollar value. Um, so we got that going on, and and, uh, and then you can also go to the website and click the banner at the top there and get into the gear guide. So if you're looking for something uh, late for Christmas, um, it's a good option for you. So um, this week on the podcast, um, I had on Zach Kenner. So uh, Zach Kenner, he's a just a diehard public land hunter and, and hunts all over for mule deer and elk. And, and I, it was so funny. I, I met him just at the trailhead in Wyoming and I, I was waiting on my cameraman and ran into him and, um, just super nice guy. And, and we started talking and, and, uh, so we kind of became friends from that, but, uh, he had a great season this year. He was able to kill a buck, uh, with his rifle there in Wyoming and, and killed just a heck of a bull, um, in Washington, drew a tag he'd been waiting on for a lot of years and killed a good bull there. So um, another good podcast with a, another really good public land hunter where we can kind of um, talk over different tactics and, and talk over different ways you know that we hunt and places that we hunt. Um, we get into Alaska, uh, talk about Alaska hunting and the opportunities up there. So it's just a great podcast and, and Zach's super knowledgeable. So uh, we'll get this thing going here. Okay, we're live with Zach. How, Zach, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty good. Good. Well, yeah. Um, so I I met you when we were um, we went on that Wyoming hunt this year, and we kind of met at the same trailhead as we were going in, and kind of started talking, and and instantly I knew um, you know you were really serious about your public land do-it-yourself hunting. Um, you said you had the whole month to hunt, and you were just coming off of I think ten days hunting. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went and hunted the front, just like you'd said, you know, that opens earlier. And so I, uh, this was the first year I hunted that, but it was exactly like you were saying, you know, just trying to extend my season anywhere I could. And, you know, I think Utah and Nevada both open early. And so I, I hit up Utah last year and that was a tough hunt. Fun, but tough. I mean, saw lots of deer, just, just that country is so big and hard to get stocks in. But yeah, so I, came came out of that hunt heading to wyoming and and here's this guy sitting at the trailhead like twiddling his thumbs i'm thinking well what's going on what's he waiting for (laughs) and then you know you were waiting on your cameraman but so we yeah we got to talking and yeah instantly i also knew it was like this guy's the real deal you know and and uh we were both heading to the same spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had both done our research, and we were headed to the same spot. Um, yeah, and, and you had a bunch of days to hunt, right? You were planning the entire bow season, which was 15 days, and then you said, well, and if I need it, I'll stay for the rifle season too. Um, that's just crazy. You've set up your life in such a way where I think your, your job is seasonal, right? And so you would got off work, and then you were pretty much off all the hunting season focused on hunting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's that is intentional. I mean, I've got a four-year degree and shoot, I could be, you know, making pretty good money and have a pretty good lifestyle, but instead I choose to yeah, I work seasonally. I work in agriculture where most of the work's done in spring and summer and and uh yeah, that allows me to take take the fall and do what I want as long as I can, you know, balance finances and make it work, but yeah, it de- definitely was uh was a fun and I, I ended up staying for 20 26 27 days but we packed them out on the 20, on september 27th and uh you know it was it's like you said too i'm I've, i'm always looking for that next next class of deer and i decided to put all my eggs in wyoming this year instead of you know doing a 10-day hunt here 10-day hunt there i just said i'm gonna go live in the back country of wyoming and try to find me a 200 incher 
Oh, so. good for you. Well, and that's living the dream to me, you know, and you can figure it out and make your bills work out and then take that much time for hunting season. And, and I get a lot of time, but it's it's always crazy when I meet somebody that, that has set their life up where they have more time than me. I mean, to me, that's that's richer than me. That's figuring out better than I have. But <laughs> yeah, good for you. Yeah, I know you were looking for a giant buck in there and you saw that one. And, um, you know, I'm supposed to keep that buck on the down low that, that you saw in there. But man, what a buck with those stickers and kickers and that guy ended up harvesting them in there which is just wild wasn't that a heck of a buck oh yeah i mean i i spotted that buck one evening at like two and a half miles right at dark and oh i could you know i i knew it was huge i really couldn't put an exact score on it just because of the low light conditions but i knew i knew it was a shooter you know and but with there's being like like you said the pressure in there was ridiculous and i knew that was not going to be a high percentage stock. And so I just, or I mean, even a hunt period, not just a stock, but, you know, going after that buck was not going to, the odds were stacked against me. And so instead I just picked up camp and headed down Ridgeline and looked for a different one because there's just too many people. Yeah, good for you. No, you made the right move. And so we met up a couple times in there. We met at the trailhead, and I was waiting forever for my for my camera guy, and you were getting your stuff set up. And so we sat there and talked for a long time. And, and then uh, we got in the hills and got in the mountains. You went and checked out some buck you had seen that morning, didn't end up being quite big enough for you. And so then a couple days later, I see you, you know, and we kind of meet up on that ridge line in that back basin. And, yeah, I, I kind of tried to hunt around the pressure there on the outskirts of it and i tried to go you know farther down the ridge to the right and then my next move was to go down to the ridge to the left and so you ended up going down to the ridge to the left and finding bucks and and getting away from all the pressure and having those bucks to yourself right and getting some good stocks yeah yeah my my buddy Derek, he uh he made three great stocks on a great buck in there i mean just same thing wasn't quite big enough for me being that early but right on the borderline i mean the more i the more i watched it Derek sneak on it the more i liked him you know i mean a giant you know probably 29 30 inch frame uh but still probably right at 180 uh just just didn't have the front forks to score but great buck i mean i i uh in fact we went back in there looking for him during rifle season but um yeah it was great stocks just didn't make it happen you know it's just that's just bow hunting you know i mean this you know you you always say you know, listening to your podcast, your your biggest deal is what can you learn from those stocks? And uh, quite a quite a few times this year, I found myself saying I wouldn't have done anything different. It's just bow hunting, and that's what happens. So you know, it's it's tough. Right. I mean, even when you make all the right moves, or or you can't figure out a better move that you would have made, like you say, it's just bow hunting, and even. Uh, the best bow hunters in the world we fail a lot you know it's it's like this yeah. constant trial and error and if if you don't like failing bow hunting probably isn't the sport for you because there's just too many <laughs> variables those those bucks have it you know on, on their side they they have all the advantages living in there and they're trying to dodge cougars 365 days a year that are way sneakier than us humans so you know when we try to clumsily move in on a buck or not even clumsily you know we're we're definitely moving in quiet and trying to keep everything thing but but we're not as sneaky as a as a mountain lion is and so yeah i mean they just the wind swirls once or you crack a stick or you know like you say sometimes you don't even make a mistake and those bucks catch you but they definitely have your number in there and that's why it's so special when it comes together yeah yeah for sure you know in in utah uh me and me and my buddy got zero stocks zero stocks 10 days of hard hunting and had zero stocks and i found myself sitting on top of the mountain one day just, you know, taking it all in because, you know, we were at 10,000 feet living living with the mountain goats. I, I, I saw more mountain goats in the first three, four days than I did in mule deer. And just just taking it all in, I, I got to thinking, you know, to me, mule deer hunting is like, is like or, or being a good mule deer hunter is like uh, being a good poker player. I feel like that you can be the best poker player in the world, but if you don't get dealt the right cards, you're not going to win. And that's how I kind of felt in Utah after getting my butt kicked and thinking I just I, I didn't have the right cards dealt. You know, I mean, here here I was putting in the time, putting in the effort, putting in the training, shooting, you know, everything. And, and it just didn't pan out. Never, never made never made a stock one. 
Dude, I love that analogy, uh, the poker analogy. That's great. I gotta, yeah. I gotta write that one down. Yeah, that's perfect. That's the <laughs> perfect analogy for mule deer hunting. It's, it's all the yeah. hands you're dealt and where the bucks are living. And, and uh, like you say, um, if if you're not dealt the cards, it's tough to win. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's we. I saw one shooter buck in Utah and clear i mean three four miles away on a different mountain range damn near you know i could just see a huge frame in this morning sunlight and we got in and got on top of him but three days later i think it was picking our way through the rocks trying to find a way to get to him and and uh found a couple of his buddies once we actually got in there and never saw him again i mean it's just it's just the way it works but huh and um were you able to get away from the pressure in utah you know, that was one thing I was worried about because I've heard so much about, you know, about the pressure. And I I did. I don't know if I just picked places that that people didn't want to go or I, I, I don't know. I mean, I ran into a, a couple hunters, but, uh, you know, I talking to some of the locals about common places that people go and, you know, and I'm looking at it on a map and I'm like, yeah, that's a that looks like a great spot. But that's what they just said it's a common spot so i didn't go there i tried to i tried to pick places that i thought were far enough out of the way and you know we we, i found lots of deer i found a couple decent bucks just not that you know not that 180 plus status and um it's it's just it's just rugged country and i think that's the places i went into were more rugged than others and so that's probably why i you know got away from the pressure Oh, good for you. See, and I've hunted that front as well, and I kind of had a different experience. I mean, I didn't um I went into a spot that was miles back in in rough gnarly country, and I um there was people in there for the first couple days or I'd see I saw guys for the first couple days and then I don't know, 4 or 5 days later I saw another guy hike through, but they were never on the right spots at the right time and they weren't sitting on the vantage points glassing, and so even though I saw a handful of guys, it was like I had no pressure and is like these bucks instead of you know living in their alpine environments up in those alpine basins kind of like that big buck that you spotted in wyoming he dropped down into secondary living and all these utah bucks dropped down into secondary living and i saw a lot of giant bucks i saw some really good bucks um but they were so sparse and few and far between and such a tight program and down about a thousand or fifteen hundred feet living in like steep avalanche chutes within thick timber just spots where guys weren't dropping the elevation to look down in there and and where they were really tough to see and the buck i ended up killing i saw two times you know i think in seven days of hunting you know and and there was other good bucks in there i'd only see once or i'd see a couple times and same thing in there is I i didn't get very many stocks um I think I got, well, I got two stocks. I got one on the buck I, I killed that I didn't get him, and then I was finally able to, to get him, you know, six or seven days later or whatever. But um, but same kind of thing where there there was guys around, but they just weren't really focused where the deer were, where I didn't have many problems with pressure. But I, I was able to find some bigger bucks in there, just not consistently. Yeah, you, you know, you, you brought up an interesting thing that uh... – you know, you say how they're dropping down and living in the, you know, in the timber. Um, well, I ran into I ran into a couple local guys in Wyoming this year. Uh, they were towards the tail end of archery season. They were just kind of scouting, you know, coming back in for rifle. And uh, you know, it, ma- it makes you feel like you're in the right spot when when you're in, you know, 10, 11 miles, and then a couple local boys show up on horses and uh, are scouting for rifle season. And I'm asking, so when a I must be in the right spot then if you guys are here, huh? And well, anyways, the, the guy shot a book buck last year, like 194 or something, and uh, we got to shooting, shooting the crap, and and he brought up an interesting point, and I I was gonna run this up by a, uh, you know, you're saying, and and I think the deer do definitely, you know, will summer somewhat in those high alpine basins and then drop down, but what he was thinking is that those are the bucks that get spotted, and so those are the bucks that get shot. You know, it seems like when you're hiking up through that timber, getting into those alpine basins, you're always bumping into deer. You're, you know, there, there's there's deer there; they live there. Well, if the if the deer are born there, and then they those you know those bucks might just keep coming back to that same spot, even though it's not in that alpine basin, and then live and die in that timber. 
and he seemed to think that the just those alpine bucks were getting shot out because every t- every he 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 hunted he wanted to hunt in that like you said you know that fifteen hundred to two thousand feet below below the top, but he see he thinks the deer live there. Hmm. Uh, you know, you I know think I mean? they it- I think they live there you know that time of season, but I don't think they live and die there all year. Like scouting those same spots in Wyoming, I was able to count hundreds of bucks up there. I you know I feel oh, like yeah. I saw every one, but I do think these deer are starting to recognize the pressure, and they're starting to even recognize the bow pressure to where a lot of these bucks are dropping down to that secondary living, which is down in that timber you're talking about. And I don't you know when when we say timber like i don't think they just live in dark timber i don't really believe any of these like i they've got to find a food source and if there isn't a food source in that timber and some of the more open timber i feel like they can feed but i feel like they find little openings that are just down off the top in there but you know i I mean who's to say what what all deer do and what big deer live and die and i've heard that too a guy's jumping them down in the timber and i definitely think that time of year as we get into late september and in early october those deer migrate down but i mean you go up there in in early august when there is no hunting season and you feel like you see every buck in the woods right yeah and all well and that's i'm the same way i mean that's where i'm looking but i it's, I was just interesting that you know i mean i think there could be something to that where if they're born down low they might live down low but i don't i don't know I mean, well it's just and I, I, think, I think i think you're right on the on they are feeling the bow pressure there's getting to be more bow hunters that want to go deep and and so they might just be dropping down earlier now. Yep, and I think they want to be up high in those alpine basins. And the reason those bucks are up high, you know, I don't think it's to avoid predation or I don't think it's to avoid hunting pressure. They go to that high country because of the lush feed, you know, and that feed stays and green up bugs. high. What Say that again? And lack of bugs. Yep, lack of bugs. Yeah. Uh, they've yeah. got wind. It's cooler. It's just a better place to summer. And, and you know, like you say, there can be a buck that lives down lower, but usually what he does is he finds, you know, a little like uh, open faced high country feature that's just not on the top ridge. You know, he may be a thousand, fifteen hundred feet down and living in that spot that you're talking about. But, you know, as far as, as bucks, you know, living their whole life down in the black timber and never showing themselves and that's how they get big, you know, I don't buy it because I you know, I've seen so many big bucks in the high country and including that Wyoming hunt, you know, I had a bunch of bucks scouted that were well over two hundred inches that were up there summering, but by the time bow season got on, like you're saying, I think they recognize the pressure and like that giant double sticker buck that you saw, he was down in secondary living in the timber and, and another big buck I had scouted that I couldn't even find on the hunt. You know, he was definitely down in secondary living where they're tougher to glass and tougher to get to. And that's where those rifle hunters focus in on, which they should, because that's where the deer are living that time of year, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's all just theories, right? We're all just trying to figure it out as we go. And like like you say, there's multiple ways to kill a big butt, but that's kind of what I think and what I believe in. And sounds like you do too with all the high country you hunt. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's fun. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's nothing like it. And, and yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I spent 20, 27 days in that 10 K this or in September in Wyoming and I, I still didn't kill 200 incher but uh <laughs> we did we killed some studs but they were all during rifle um you know we we had one picked out uh three days before rifle and went back in there after him and ended up getting him and he was uh 187 typical so pretty pretty big buck 20, 29 inch frame oh, but, good uh, for you guys right on sounds like a great you know, one and, oh yeah it was it is what it's what we we're there for so but yeah that that that's fun country i can't i can't wait can't wait to do it again but yeah me too yep um i want to get in there again i'm i'm with you on on looking forward to these late hunts and you know we got january coming up and i'm definitely going down to arizona for those coos deer like like you're so addicted to as well oh good for (laughs) you um yeah i was looking on your social media um uh hard hard hunter is that right um yeah yeah. Hard, hardworking hunter on Instagram or whatever. God, you got a great page on there. But yeah, I saw that you went down. Was it last year and hunted coos deer with your bow? Yeah, yeah, and um, had some great opportunities. Uh, my buddy ended up shooting a, a 88 incher, 
and I missed two that were bigger. <laughs> oh man. So, you know, it's just, it's just the way it goes. But that, and you know, a lot of it came down to that range finding, like you were talking about on the last couple podcasts, like it, uh, that range finder is, is a make or break deal for sure. And I, I, uh, I'm in the same boat as you on, on having, well, in fact, just this last month, I, I, uh, I grazed the uh, the biggest buck I would have killed in Washington and um to to a rangefinder deal where it was one of those shoot now or never and I had ranged the doe that had came out on the and I figured he was on the same trail and then he ended up walking you know about 5 6 steps closer while I was at full draw and uh it was and and then a couple of those came up to the left of me and spotted me and it was it was an hour never and I shot and I hit just low and grazed his the back of his leg and uh just under his brisket i mean and i followed him tailed him for probably three miles and uh he ended up running off on all fours and i mean he's he's fine but it's just heartbreaking you know it's, it's all a rangefinder deal and oh. just like just like you did man so. isn't that heartbreaking i know it these bucks like we work so hard to get into range and get an opportunity, and you always believe that you're going to close the deal because we practice nonstop, and, and then just a little mistake or a, a little here or a little there, and all of a sudden you've missed them, and um, man, that is heartbreaking. Yeah, that rangefinder game is so overlooked, isn't it? It's something that we all oh, need yeah. to work on more. Yeah, for sure, and and but but it was it was kind of like you on that elk in montana this year you know it, it was an hour never and i mean i so i i it was same thing i walked away going the only thing i could have done different is let down and rearrange but then i wouldn't have i wouldn't have had an opportunity and and the does were all flustered there was there was a lot of does and they were they, they were on alert and that i was i was impressed i got that close anyway and and I just my my shot was executed absolutely perfect. I mean that was that was the only that was my first shot with my bow this season at an at a deer, and I was calm, I was calm, cool, and collected. And I just I mean it was dead in my mind. It was already dead, and uh, well that arrow flew perfect, just just short. uh, i'm I'm still sick about it uh dude i believe it i hear you um yeah and like you say those opportunities when they are a now or never it's almost like you're creating that opportunity to almost like get a chance to kill that buck and and if you don't take that opportunity you got zero chance at killing that buck and so it's like well i'm i'm just gonna shoot him for where i range that doe because i'm drawn back and i can't let down and rearrange and it's it's either i let this shot go and I'm right or I let this shot go and I'm wrong so there is something with bow hunting where you do get in those scenarios where you almost have to roll the dice where it's not a hundred percent opportunity because you either got to make it happen right now and make a quick decision or it doesn't happen at all right and and I mean it was an educated guess I mean you know I mean I was I was right there uh just I got I I I don't know I (laughs) I feel like I made the right decision, you know, and, and, and I mean, on the, on the, on the best side or the good side of things, he, he didn't get hurt. I mean, he, a, a slight graze on the back of his leg there and, you know, I mean, he's fine. So, it, you know, it, it definitely still alive and out there breeding does for sure. Yeah, no, that's, um, uh, like you say, that's the one good thing you can take away when you make a miss or a graze or whatever it is, is that, yeah. you know, at least I didn't wound him, which is the worst thing in the world, which it can ruin your yeah. whole hunt or whatever. But, um, no, uh, like you say, and it, it was a super educated guess. You had the doe ranged, you had the trail he was on. He should have been at that range. What was he? A little, little bit farther. Cause you hit low. Is that right? Yeah. So, well, I, because he took those six steps what i figured closer i actually held a little you know or or i I figured he was five six yards closer well evidently he didn't he must not have came out on the exact trail he must have came out you know five six yards behind her and so i i mean had i shot for the does range i actually would have hit him but (laughs) that's just that's just how it goes that's just bow hunting right if you're not failing you're not doing it right um in those those split second decisions kill you but it's easy to sit here now and go well i should have shot him for that easy to have hindsight you know when you after the situation goes down one of the one of the biggest bucks i ever missed i had the you know he was you know i think he'd be in contention for the world record typical and he was in colorado and he walked down like below this fir tree and i i i 
crawled in on him in his bed, and then I had ranged ranges all around him. I had ranged this fir tree, and the fir tree was right at 40 yards, and he walked behind the fir tree, came out, and I shot him for 40, same thing, right below his brisket into the grass. And that buck had no idea I was there. It was a little different scenario. I could have ate a sandwich and shot that buck and killed him. <laughs> and instead, like I just was in such a panic in my mind to get a shot, and I had that range on that tree that I ended up misjudging by three, four yards or whatever and shooting underneath them. I just you just kick yourself for those opportunities but you know like I say if you're not failing you're not doing it right you just try to learn from them and get better but some situations there's there's nothing you can do it's a split second decision yeah yeah but yeah and you know I mean to kind of switch gears here I uh I just want to say like you know for the most of these podcasts you've been putting out I agree with so much that you know that you're saying especially on you know like training and nutrition and and I mean, I know we we discussed nutrition for probably forty minutes, but you know, at the trailhead there that day, and and uh, you know, you you brought up a, a lot of good points, you know, when, talking about going light and taking food that you don't have to cook and whatnot, and and that's something I haven't thought a lot on. Um, I just seem to always pack a jet boil, and so if I'm packing a jet boil, I might as well throw in you know a dehydrated meal. Um, I I did do all my own meals this year you know, a, a couple mountain houses, but I was mainly using those mountain houses for the container to cook my own meals in. Um, and I, I felt great in Wyoming this year. Uh, you know, like you, you say, you know, packing that 40 to 50 pounds, you know, day seven, day eight at 10,000 feet, you start to feel it. And I kind of chuckled because here, you know, that, that's what you used to carry, but now you're wanting to film your hunts. And so you, you're going to be pushing 60, 70 pounds, <laughs> packing that camera gear <laughs> oh right yeah um no good for you on your nutrition and fueling yourself right with that i want to get into doing my own dehydrated meals like that and really need to put more time and effort into it um but but yeah like you say um it starts to wear on you after a while and then like you say all this extra camera gear and you're really into filming and you've had uh, uh film in the full draw film festival and then you captured some hunts this year right uh, yeah, you know, um, they showed, so I, I wasn't, I didn't actually make the full tour. Uh, they basically showed my film on my home shows here in Washington and basically I'd, I'd, I didn't quite make the, the top eight, but you know, they showed it here and, and then I uh, know, but I got one coming up. I'm going to enter this year too. And hopefully I make the actual top eight, but yeah, I, I entered uh, the, the outdoor film fest in Salt Lake last year as well and got rookie of the year, um, with the, uh, Idaho, bow hunt my dad shot a 194 inch uh velvet buck on film and an awesome film it's, it's actually on youtube if, if uh you know you want if viewers want or listeners want to go check it out but dude uh, i yeah, totally awesome. want to check it out what's your youtube yeah um, it's hard working hunter it's all that's that's who i that's my name for everything so oh, good for you i like your motto too I, that's perfect yeah well and it's it's kind of you know i forget the name of it where you know it means means dual meanings you know where i you know i work hard all summer you know and and uh put in way more hours than than normal i basically put in a, a year's well about eight months worth of work into six months you know and and i'm working a minimum of 12 hour days seven days a week and and so i'm you know i'm working hard so that i can hunt but then while i'm hunting i'm working even harder you know i mean it's <laughs> i uh like you said on some of your earlier podcasts where, you know, you, you want to hunt those areas in that high country where there's no water, you know, it seems to get away from the people. Well, I, I packed my water in Wyoming this year. And so my pack was actually pushing probably 80 pounds. And, uh, as, a, as my, as basically my day pack, because I packed it with me everywhere I went. So I could just set up camp wherever I got to, you know, I, I didn't have a base camp or anything. I just, I lived on those peaks and kept moving down the ridgeline and just stayed up high as long as I could until, you know, which was, which was about, oh, four to five days. And then I'd have to go down for water. Um, but it, you know, just, just dif different tactic there, uh, you know, about living up there and packing my water with me. So, you know, two gallons of water is eight to 18, 16, 17 pounds. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. Oh man, dude, that is incredible. Yeah, you know, you gotta yeah. you gotta be in such good shape to live up there. But yeah, water's the heaviest thing you got in your pack, even heavier yeah. than your camera gear. <laughs> but oh, dang, dang near. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, no, that's totally it. Is you having to pack that much water? And I I know where you were hunting back in there, and there wasn't much water up high. You had to drop down quite a ways to get it. Um, no, yeah. good for you. Being able to live and survive up there is everything. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And, and, um, I think it's great that you're listening to the podcast. I, I find these good hunters or these great public land do it yourself hunters that are listening to the podcast. And, you know, sometimes I'm a little bit humbled by it and I, you know, I, I, you guys are achieving so much and out there working hard, but I also think it's that, you know, even me, we're all trying to just gain as much information and get as good at this as, as we can get, you know, for ourselves or, or to find our own satisfaction in it. Um, but, but you're totally the reason why I started this podcast is guys like you to, to have you on and have these conversations just about, um, you know, hunting the high country and, and hunting different hunts and how you prepare and, and different theories on things. And then, you know, a lot we're going to agree on. On, you know but um man it's just awesome to have you on and and i uh, sure appreciate you sharing everything with me oh yeah for sure i mean i i like you said it's all about gaining that edge and you know i mean listening to you I, well I'm, I'm already thinking about trying trying a little bit more of that dry food that i don't have to cook you know and you know whether it's granola bars protein bars and, and i do pack a few of those as it is just as you know supplements but I'm I'm trying to shave pounds. That's that's the biggest thing and and I uh, I've got a lot of light gear and I'm still pushing, you know, it well uh my pack 65 pounds without water. And you know, that's with cameras and I mean, yeah, I got, I I got a few ounces here and there that I do sacrifice, you know, with a little extra heavier sleeping pad and um you know, a couple extra layers of clothing, but it's just I mean, 65 is still pretty light, and that's that's bow, bow or rifle included. You know, they they weigh about the same. So, um, and yeah, it's just uh, it it takes a lot of effort, that's for sure. Right. Well, and it's a constant evolution of trying to get things lighter, and um, you're always tearing down your pack when you get home from a backcountry hunt and going, okay, what can I do without next time? Or you know, because all those pounds add up in in miles and. It, it sounds like you keep yourself in really good shape and are able to carry those heavier packs. You know, I I probably go just a touch lighter than that. But, you know, gosh, when you're packing water and camera gear and everything else, you know, it just adds up. But you seem to grind on these hunts. I couldn't believe that you were going to be in there 15 days in the bow season and then run right into rifle season. No going home, no hotels, <laughs> no good living. You were just living in the mountains looking for a good buck. Uh, I really admire that. I think that's awesome. Well, I mean that that was the plan, but I'll I'll admit that uh I seem to have planned moving trailheads uh, uh at the same time a rainstorm happened to me maybe coming in. <laughs> and so that put me in town when it was pouring down rain, but uh yeah, we did we did stay at a hotel a couple nights for, you know, that, but uh it just you know, that when it's pouring down rain up there or you know, fog, it's I'm not I'm not seeing deer anyway. So I'm, I might as well you know, go into town, have a good meal and, and, uh, re recoup a little bit, you know, to go back into a different trailhead and, and try something else. You know, I'd, we, I think I did, I came out three times. Um, I came out of that trailhead where I met you at and went into a different one. And that's where we actually found that big bug, the big typical that we shot. But then we went out, um, right before rifle to get our rifles and then which that was a rainstorm that was a two-day solid rainstorm and um and then we went back in killed that buck oh so i guess it was more than that it was like four because then we packed him out and then i joined up with a different buddy and then we hiked in and then yeah actually it was like five times <laughs> you know just just moving around staying mobile trying to find what we're after and i actually i uh i missed i missed with my rifle this year and that 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 uh, doesn't happen very often <laughs> yeah no kidding huh um how'd you yeah. miss with your rifle what went wrong oh uh, well i'm i mean i'll admit it was a long ways you know it was, it was pushing 800 yards and but i, I mean i practice i mean I, I i practice a lot i mean i take i am I'm, I'm with you when it comes to bow hunting on on knowing my bow and knowing my gear and uh you know and 
I, I've made my bow hunting into a science just like you have, you know, I mean, we've, we've dialed that in so well. Well, recently I uh, took that and applied it to rifle hunting. And so I, you know, I, I didn't settle for second best. I taught myself how to long range shoot and, uh, I'm excellent. You know, I mean, I, I practice at a grand all the time. And so when, I mean that when I had this buck standing on the hill at 800 yards, it was, it was dead. It's like, you know, that when you, when I finally decided to pull the trigger, it's on. Well, it was first light, and um, there was what appeared to be no wind, and what I didn't account for was an uphill thermal and uh, on his side, and it shot right over him. And he, was, he wasn't he was a giant giant. I mean, he was he was 180-incher probably, but uh, he was that, – that's kind of my minimum. Like, if they're 180, then, then, they're, uh, then they're, they're good enough for the wall. <laughs> and so that I missed. I, I was dumbfounded. In fact – I went over, looked for blood, came back and shot again from the exact same spot, you know, but this was three, four hours later after I've walked over there and shot at the exact same spot at a rock on that hillside and smoked it. And so that, you know, cause, cause I was dumbfounded that I missed like that just, that just, it doesn't happen. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Well, and it's just those long shots like long shots in archery have variables that you almost can't account for. And you can take in the wind and the wind in the canyon. And, um, you know, you, you guys get into the rotation of the earth and the azimuth and everything oh, else. Yeah. But but there, too, you can't control the mile per hour wind across the canyon. Just good that you were able to figure it out. The uphill thermal is what got you in the morning with the with the morning sun warming that that ground down below and then those thermals are rising up that hill and that uphill thermal affected your bullet enough to miss that buck high yep sure i mean it, an inch over the top of his back i mean it's on film and uh it's <laughs> it was it was, yeah it was i i didn't even think about it i mean i always i'm always thinking about left to right you know the wind but uh i it just never even crossed my mind. No, it it wouldn't mind either. The an uphill thermal affecting your bullet making you hit high. Oh man, that's wild. Well, we, you know, we all just miss no matter how much we practice and how good we get. But um, you you did end up killing a buck there in Wyoming. And then what I wanted to get into too is your your elk tag you had in Washington. Man, you killed a monster bull in Washington this year. <laughs> Congratulations on that bull. That is just awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was um. 19 years worth of preference points on that on that tag it was a special tag and uh you know i'm i'm with you i'm a bow hunter at heart and and it was a rifle tag that i drew and when you have that many points it's just you might as well put in with a rifle tag it's a little bit more of a guaranteed you know and well i i thought it was uh you know those that was post rut and um those bulls man they sunk down to the deepest darkest holes and really i only found two that i would you know even consider shooting and uh, I, I scouted for a week before season I, I i lived in the mountains for a week before season and only found i found one one bull that was definitely my number one bull and then i found the bull i shot which was my number two and uh i expected to at least have five that i would have been happy with but it's just it's just the unit you know there's a lot of big bulls in there um it's a tough tag to draw in fact it's probably the most put in tag for in the state and but yeah uh, i so i hunted hard for four or five days after not number one bull and i could not pick him out again i mean i, I really only saw him once and so he could have moved two three miles away for all i know um, but i was always able to find that seven point that ended up shooting and I decided it was time because the fog was rolling in, weather was becoming an issue, and, I mean, you can't see anything, you, or you can't shoot anything you can't see. So when I caught a break in the fog, I figured it was time, and, yeah, I ended up putting it all together. Great, great bull. I mean, he's uh, in the 360s. Um, just, yeah, <laughs> pictures make him look a lot bigger, but... <laughs> oh, man, great, he's great. a... When they get that big, any picture looks big. I mean, you take a good picture, but that's just a giant bull. I don't care who you are. Um, yeah. Anytime they get to that size, um, man, oh, man, they're just a big mass on them. His eye guards were huge. Top end was huge. That thing was just a dream bull. 
Um, no, those elk get really tough to hunt that time of year. That post rut is kind of like trying to hunt the mule deer pre rut where they, they, they just go into hiding after the rut. They just want to put weight back on and just survive. And they, you know, they might bachelor herd up or maybe you could catch one with some cows, but those big old bulls, they're by themselves. They just go in a hole and then just live in there and feed around there. Usually little openings and dark timber and stuff like that. Um, and then if you don't have the weather to kick them down or kick them out to feed longer boy that can be a tough ordeal yeah yeah it it was i mean the bull i shot actually was was with a giant herd uh probably about 300 elk and he was probably just picking up cows that were coming in late and uh or you know coming in on a second cycle and i could i you know it's pretty easy to spot a herd of 300 elk and so i could keep tabs on him pretty good uh, but shoot it uh, preseason when i spotted him i spotted him probably three miles away two and a half miles away in the spotter and i could just tell he had a huge frame and i figured i needed to go get a better look at him so two days later i i made it my goal that morning to go down in and find these find this bull and get better film of him and dissect him see how big i thought he was <laughs> and uh they i went down into the drainage they were in and i couldn't find him they were gone i mean like it's like i was dumbfounded it's like how, how did 300 elk just disappear well, you know, I, so I just sat down and was just taking it all in, you know, just enjoying being in the outdoors, honestly. And I look up and here, here they come over the top of the mountain, dropping into that drainage, single file, like a herd of ants, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, uh, they were, I could tell they were on the move and they were heading down and I actually met them in the bottom and they all, they all crossed in front of me at 40 yards and had no idea I was there. And so I, it's all on film and there, and when, when you get a big herd like that, they just talk so much, you know, both cows and bulls. I mean, there's probably, there's probably 10 bulls in there that were six points and just screaming back and forth and back and forth. And the, the video is pretty, pretty epic. Oh, I'd say early, uh, must've been early October or so. Uh, what was that? That was October 15th to the, to the I think it opened the 25th or 24th, so it would have been around the 20th. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, some yeah. good um, late rut in action. You know, I found that October season has been the most productive for me, too. I love hunting bulls, you know, right at the end of that rut. And then, you know, who knows what the, the time difference is from Montana to Washington. But, yeah, I love that end of the season. It usually ends here, like, around October 15th or October 18th. And I've had some of my most epic elk hunting days, you know, right there at the end of season. And, and my last few bulls here in Montana have been October bulls i love that time of year um but uh yeah what an awesome hunt what an awesome bull so you got that one on film is that one of the ones you're submitting to the to the full draw film festival well i shot that one of the rifles so it can't be in the full draw film tour oh yeah <laughs> but <laughs> yeah but, well uh, that makes sense yeah but no i i haven't decided i mean it, it it's either my wyoming hunt this year or that bull hunt that i'll put into the uh the outdoor film fest in salt lake and yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't have a lot of footage. Um, so it's, I, I mean, I, I have a buttload of footage from my Wyoming hunt. I mean, I was in there for a month and I mean, just from foxes to the ladybugs to, oh, I mean, you, you name it, I have film of it. I mean, if, well, for, to big bulls, oh man, I got into some awesome, awesome rut action when I was in there. Uh, just, I mean, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help myself when there's two giant bulls screaming, you know, only, you know, right below me and I needed water anyway. I'm like, well, I'm just going to go down, get water and, and get in on these bulls and get some film. And, and shoot, I end up just squeaking with my mouth and called one bull into like 80 yards, just screaming. <laughs> oh, good for you. Right on. Just for fun. Just for fun. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's just cool to, to be in there. I mean, I, I don't hunt elk a lot. Uh, just, I've just been a mule deer guy through and through. And I mean, I, I have elk hunted, um, and you know, I've killed a couple elk, but I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, you know, those high country velvet muleys are, are where I'm at right now. And I know I'll, I'll get the elk bug eventually. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I'm with you. There's just something about those high country mule deer that, you know, it seems like all my motivation and all my daydreaming and my thoughts the next season, they all go to those, those high country mule deer. God, I love, I love chasing those things. I think it's the, the country they live in. And then, um, 
you know, I don't. There's just something about a giant buck up there in that in that high country. It's so rugged. It's like your your goat or sheep hunting, just like in your Utah where you saw more goats. That country's so gnarly up there. I mean, everywhere you look is like a picture. You just take it all in. But then there, you know, when there's a giant thirty inch buck, you know, in the velvet and in the velvet they look forty percent bigger, or heavier. You know, God dang it, that's just exciting. So I'm with you there. I'm a high country mule deer hunter through and through. Um, you know, I just tend to end up my in my humps, you know, in that mid-September and then kind of move on to elk. But, uh, yeah, there's something about high country mule deer. I don't blame you there. Well, you live in a good state for, for that elk hunting, too. You know, I mean, you, you pretty much have to draw a tag to kill a branch bull in Washington. So it's, uh, it you know, Montana's definitely got more opportunity there. Yeah, absolutely. No, um, yeah, I get a tag every year, and then you yeah. know, in, in some of these other states too, you know, their their elk tags just cost you know a thousand dollars a piece, where a mule deer tags three four hundred dollars a piece. And even though you know, I I I would prefer hunting mule deer in that high country too. Um, you know, that kind of plays into it too. When I three four hundred bucks for a muley tag, and I get my food and gas, and I you know under a thousand dollars, I'm on this epic high country adventure for ten days, and that's you know, that's, that's pretty, uh, luring to me, you know? Yeah. 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 You, you know, I, I couldn't believe it when, uh, you, you know, cause I know you're a mule deer guy as well. And, you know, talking about all the big bucks you've got and whatnot. And when you said you hadn't killed a buck in Idaho, I was like, holy crap. Like they've been killing some giants out of there. What are you waiting for? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Have you hunted Idaho? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, in fact, I've killed uh, my biggest archery buck out of Idaho. So, man, yeah, I've been I, missing I, the boat there, haven't I? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and and what I really like about Idaho is there's just so much public ground. I mean, it's a lot like Montana, where it's just miles and miles and miles. And you know, there isn't a lot of a lot of that you know high country that we're hunting, like you know in Mont or in uh, in Wyoming or Utah or Nevada. There's not a lot of it, but the man it's, it's it's still a great mule deer state i mean they're obviously they're just just look at the record books they're killing some giants in there yeah so i think that's what's kind of stopped me from hunting there is there isn't that classic high country mule deer country that i love to hunt that i've hunted you know almost every other western state i've hunted that high country and got to find these spots and when i look at idaho i just couldn't ever find that spot that i felt like was was that high country spot that i was looking for and there too they kill a bunch of good bucks but they kind of come from all over the state um so I just had a hard time narrowing it down. But, yeah, no, I've been missing the boat there. i got to get in Idaho and do some hunting. It's coming next year for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's a good state. I I really like it. I I still can't believe that you haven't been in there that much. But but then again, when you're, you know, you've, you've been to Colorado a handful of times, you know, Nevada and whatnot. So, I mean, it's not like you're doing anything wrong. It's just you need to make more time. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's totally it. I do need to make more time. Um, yeah, you know, you just uh, the you enjoy your time afield so much and enjoy the challenge of it. And, yeah, you just have to, like you've done, structure your life to give yourself as much time as you can, you know, even though you're maybe not getting richer, but you make sure you can pay your bills and you're set up okay and then just go hunt like a madman. At least at least that's my goal every year is to get more and more time in the in the backcountry. Well, and, you know, you say structure my life. Uh, you know, I was telling you the trailhead and, you know, my, my future, uh, I, I'm structuring my future around around a lot of hunting and, and, uh, and the fact that I'm actually moving to Alaska next spring. So uh, my, my mule deer is actually going to get put on the back burner for a few years. Um, but I do, I'm going to try to make Wyoming next year if I can get vacation. But I'm kind of going to take a year off from the lower 48. And, well, more than a year, but uh, once get, I'm gonna go get my residency in Alaska, so I can hunt sheep, goat, grizz, and you know all that for twenty five dollars instead of you know twenty thousand for to go shoot a sheep right now, and uh, get get the Alaska bug out of my system, and probably pick up mule deer again in oh three or four years. But oh, good yeah. for you. That's just a that's a dream too. I mean, um, Alaska has so much for the for the public land do it yourself hunter. You know the that that sheep hunting i've always wanted to hunt the sheep just like you have we all dream about it but it's just not feasible for us common working man to spend 20 grand on a hunt at least not me and my tax bracket and so yeah that's our way in right is go get a job in alaska and then start hunting sheep um 
man, good for you. So you're going to go up in the spring and commit to it and then start hunting sheep and, and goats and grizzly bear and start doing that. Yeah, so uh, that'll be actually uh, – it'll. my main goal will be sheep and goat in the season of 2018. Um, so next next fall I'll be able to hunt caribou and moose as a non-resident. Um, but since I'm up there, I might as well, you know, I mean, I, I, I still want to do those hunts as well. It's just that, you know, I'll have to pay a little bit more for the tags, but I'll still be able to go do it myself. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the season of 2018 that I'm really looking forward to. So <laughs> man, just hope they don't change the regs on you. Huh? Uh, yeah. In fact, they already, there's a lot of talk on regulation changes right now. Just on, in fact, uh, they're raising their non-resident tag rates, um a lot i saw uh, that yeah i think and that's active the first so i think i'm actually going to be buying my tags here this month um for next season just to, to save me a few hundred bucks but uh yeah and then there's talk of you know my my dad was going to come up and hunt sheep with me you know for the next next akin thing um where he can come up and hunt sheep with me because i'll be a resident but now they're they're talking that I think come the season of 2018 is what they're shooting for that he can still come up and shoot a sheep, but he has, he gets to shoot my sheep. So we won't get to kill. We're only allowed one between the two of us. So that kind of hurts. Yeah. Um, that, it, 2018 won't be his year then. Huh? <laughs> right. right. Well, <laughs> it'll be that same thing where, I mean, I'm moving up there to kill a sheep and a mountain goat. So, I probably will be jobless come August and September <laughs> where I can spend spend the full time in there. And I mean, if you think about it, if I actually get a sheep and a goat, I just saved myself about 40 grand. So, <laughs> yeah, good for you. No, you're a role model for us all. Uh, no, I envy you. I think that's great. Uh, Alaska is just so big and so much opportunity. If you can just get up there and then structure your life right up there and up there, what kills you is the float plane rides or the, um, uh, the right. small plane rides, you know, but like you say, you just structure your life for it. And there is other opportunities as well. Um, but it just seems like to get off that beaten path, you know, you got to use those little planes and, and av fuel isn't cheap, but you know, I'm sure you'll get it figured out up there. That is just awesome. Yeah, no, good for you. Yeah, def- definitely a lot to figure out. I mean, shoot, I I don't even know where I'm living yet, but <laughs> I'm committed. I'm I'm going. It's it's a now or never thing, and like you said, guys like us just can't afford it. I mean, there's there's just no way. I mean, maybe if I started saving now, I could afford like you know a sheep hunt or a goat hunt, you know, and or I can go up there and kill them each in a year and hunt for I, my, my plan is to hunt for three seasons um so i you know hopefully i can get two or three of everything and or at least the sheep and goat i mean and uh and then get that out of my system and come home because i mean what what got me to do it is you know i'm i'm uh active in the wild sheep foundation and and like you know go to those banquets and and uh contribute where i can and what they told they told me one time or told the whole room that one of the speakers said is is you have less than a one percent chance of ever drawing any sheep tag your whole life. <laughs> and so the the odds are really that you, that you're not going to draw one. Oh man, you're depressing and, me. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's the truth though. If you think it, it is the and, truth and, though. You know, at those sheep banquets, it's the best odds that you can for to draw a sheep tag because they give away a sheep tag at all those banquets. Um, so they only sell 300 tickets. So you have a one in 300 chance of drawing a sheep hunt. I mean, that's, that's crazy odds. Yeah. And it's that's... still way less than 1%. <laughs> yeah, no one in 300 is about as good as you can get around. I know you can get a little better odds in Idaho, but even me as a resident in Montana, you know, I'm, I'm still way above that. Um, Wow. Yeah. No, it's crazy. We just don't get the common guy doesn't get much opportunity to hunt sheep. But the one opportunity you can get, like you say, is is move up to Alaska and go do it. I I kind of had this dream of after I sold my first house and I built it all, didn't take any wage money to build it, built the whole thing, you know, for free, put put all my uh, everything I'd ever saved into the house. And I said, when I sell this, I'm I'm going doll sheep hunting. 
And then I sold it and I made a little bit and I just felt like I had this responsibility to put it in the next house and, you know, save for future or whatever. Be responsible, I guess. <laughs> it's the way. And, <laughs> and 20000 is just a big ticket to spend for us guys and especially us working guys. You add that up in hours of work and boy, that's that's a lot of time. And even though I'm sure it'd be worth it, you know, I just at that point in my life, I just couldn't see spending it. And also, I'm such a bow guy and to go up there to bow hunt a doll sheep you know, there's no guarantee. I mean, there's never a guarantee you're going to kill one, but your chances are even less with a bow. So it might take me three trips or four trips to kill one with my bow. And, and I definitely can't sign that check. All right. Exactly. And, yeah. and and in fact, you know, I'm moving up there and I'm going to have a whole month and uh, I'm, I'm on the fence about it. I really want to kill one with my bow that, I mean, I just on film that that's where I want to do. I just, that, uh, like I said, I'm a bow guy at heart. But yeah, like you said, it comes down to logistics, and I just, I just, uh, I'm probably gonna have both, honestly. And then it seems like the, the saying goes that when you take your rifle, you end up using it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a, you said it before I could say it. Yeah, no, that's yeah. kind of the way it goes. But um, yeah, well, and the the cool thing is though is you being able to live up there is you won't be on a, like an eight or ten day guided hunt. You'll be able to have the whole season, you know, to may, where maybe you can go with a bow early and try to get your stocks in, and if it doesn't come together, you know, crunch time, get it done with the rifle. Yeah, and you know, I know guys that have that have hunted them, and I know some guides, and and the truth is, is it's really not as easy as it sounds to go up and even find a legal sheep. So it they although they do they they do have some archery only units too and some draws and so as a resident I might be able to pull one of those and and have a lot better chance with my bow. So I mean there's definitely a lot that I still have to look into um but I'm keeping my my uh keeping an open mind cuz I I do want to kill one with my bow. It is is definitely a goal. Man. you know even if it, even if it is sheep number 2 yeah i don't blame you you want to get one down and like you say i think it is um tough up there there's a lot of guys that are gunning for for a full curl ram and i don't think they're that easy to find for sure and in that backcountry it seems like when they're hunting sheep you know we cover a ton of miles looking for our good muleys um but it seems like times that by a couple you know you got to really travel some miles and and check those alpine basins for those sheep up there to find a full curl so i'm with you there i i don't think it's an easy feat no no and i and so i'm just being realistic about it but you know my my buddy's actually moving up there with me and uh we're, we're doing it together and so you know, it might be one of those things where he's taking his rifle and I'll take my bow and, and then, you know, I'm, if, if I have to use his gun, I'll have it, but we might have both, you know, and he'll probably shoot, shoot my bow and get, you know, used to shooting my bow too, so that we both have that opportunity if we want it. But it's, it, I think there's, there's a lot of, there's units too that are better. Um, you know, the, the country is better for, for bow hunting where, some of the the areas I've been told to go and whatnot, it's just wide open and really rifle country, um, versus some of the more breaky, cliffy stuff that you can actually, you know, put a sheep to bed below a cliff and you know, and then come in on top of him. So there's a lot to learn, a lot to research, and I'm sure I'll meet meet guys at the bar too, just randomly and and learn information. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, no, you always. You always learn just talking to guys. You can always pick up information, but yeah, good for you. I, uh, just a touch jealous. I think that is so awesome that you're going to go for it up there for, um, like you say, for sheep and then and then for goats up there. And then the grizzly bears in the spring, I think, would be way cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's everything's on the list. You know, I mean, I don't want to kill one of everything, but uh, sheep and goat are my top priority, and, and I'm – you know, if I if I run out of funding before the grizzly, well, that's just how it is. I'm just not. They just don't push my buttons like those sheep do. Gotcha. You're a mountain but, hunter at heart too, huh? Yeah, yeah. I get. You know that that's probably what it is, and that's probably why I love the mule deer hunting as much too. It's just the country. So. Yep, I'm with you there. Um, no. Uh, although I, I did put myself in in. Uh, I I scared myself pretty good in Utah this year. Um, just. I got myself into a position where I could climb up, but I couldn't climb down. <laughs> oh. And 
Yeah, and we ended up ridgelining for probably a mile and ended up finding a way down the other side. But we stayed, we slept three days on that ridge and, well, uh, two two nights. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was a good spot to glass, too. So, I mean, the, I'm like, well, we're here. Let's just glass and glass and glass and uh, see what we can find. And then we finally decided it was time to get down and i was like dude we can't go down that way it's just it's too risky (laughs) oh man i i only laugh because i've been there before with you oh my (laughs) gosh you can get in some sketchy situations in that high country mule deer hunt but you you got to be careful and keep your wits about you like you say you can't start going down something where where you can't make it down or it's too risky because you can fall yeah well it was it was, uh, you know, looking at it, there were shoots that I knew we could get up. And once I got there, it was a lot more shale and and th- just the shale falling out from underneath you that y- you got no traction. And so it's not that it was, but but then that shale led to a cliff. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, it was a learning curve for sure. I mean, it, it's different. Like, like you don't, you don't run any or run into any of that in Wyoming or at, like, like to that degree. Mm-hmm. And, well, uh, it depends on where you're at, <laughs> but I, I yeah, suppose I, I haven't, you know, yep. I haven't ran into it, but, uh, that, that, yeah, it was, it was a scare. It was definitely an eye opener. And, uh, here I am looking at, you know, going hunt sheep and goats in Alaska where I'm just going to be surrounded by it <laughs> and <laughs> thinking, and what am I getting myself into? <laughs> yeah. It gets sketchy. Um, that some of that steep, gnarly country, I know hunting for my goat here in Montana. And then, um, a lot of my mule deer hunts, uh, mule deer hunting here in Montana. We've got this gnarly mountain range where the one ridge took me three attempts to make it up. Um, you just keep getting cliffed out and I've scared the heck out of my buddy, you know, 70 degree slopes on grass. And then like you say, that loose footing is almost the worst when it's not solid there. But, um, yeah, I've definitely scared the heck out of myself in more than one mountain range hunting high country mule deer. You got to really be safe and really keep your wits about you. And even still, you, you still get into those bad situations here and there, you know, where I, I've had to strap my bow to my pack and use all fours and, and, uh, sweating down, sweating down my brow going down. But, um, yeah, that part of, part of the enjoyment too, is keeping yourself safe up there and keeping your wits about you. Oh yeah. It, it, uh, it, like I said, it was an eye opener. It was, it was, uh, it was one of those, one of those few days where, you know, I looked at my buddy and go, Hey, we're not going to die. Like, like, you know, we, 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 even looking at the shoot that we went down, I said, the, the the best part about this shoot is there's no cliff, so we're not gonna die. The worst we're gonna do is scuff our scuff our legs up, you know. <laughs> yeah, just just don't let my mother listen to this. All right, yeah, that's exactly right, huh? Well, uh, good for you. Like I say, uh, such a great conversation with you, Zach. Um, like I say, guys like you are the reason why I started this podcast, and I I learned just as much as the listeners do talking to you. Um, gosh, you've been hugely successful both with your bow and rifle. You know, this season and previous seasons, I've seen some of the bucks you've harvested. Um, it's just really good to talk to you and share ideas with you. Congratulations on your season this year, and I I want to have you back on the podcast so we can talk again. Maybe do it in a in a couple months and talk over your coos deer hunt and um, just talk over theories and and hunting public lands again. Yeah, maybe a little less story time and a little more tech talk or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, wherever the conversation leads, like I say, I'm always flying yeah. by the seat of my pants. But um, now I think we snuck some good information in there too. But yeah, for sure, I'd love to do a do a technical um, episode with you. You know, where we actually pick a subject and and try to keep on topic the whole time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I th- I think uh, well. I- a little bit of everything, I guess. I mean, it, it, it's hard to just pick one because everything's important. <laughs> it is. There's so many facets to our game and so many facets to being successful. And, and whether it's fitness or shooting or, you know, hunting techniques or range finding or, you know, like you say, there's a, there's a million different tangents we could take off on and do a whole podcast about. But um, I think that's great. I think I think we should get back on and do one. Keep in touch. I want to hear how you do on your coos deer hunt and I'll check in with you and I get done getting 
get done with this New Mexico hunt and um, talk about your plans. Like you say, next year you're going to be in Alaska and coming back maybe hunting Wyoming. But, um, yeah, let's just do a little brainstorming and get back on and do another podcast. It's so great to, to talk to another successful hunter out there and share ideas. Yeah, Brian, I I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, I'm I'm excited to hear more that you have to put out. So right on, and so guys can look you up. Um, you're on Instagram, hardworking hunter. Uh, your YouTube channel. Um, hopefully you'll be posting up like uh, some of your elk footage and and deer footage or whatever doesn't make the full draw film festival or whatever you don't put in there. So guys can look you up. Uh, YouTube, Instagram, anywhere else that you're on where guys can look you up. Yeah, so uh, Instagram is hard underscore working underscore hunter. Um, YouTube is hardworking hunter, and uh, I'm also I, I have a, a Facebook page like you know like hardworking hunter Facebook page, but I really don't do much on it. <laughs> and my my personal page is kind of where I am on Facebook, and I'm you know at the five thousand max limit, and so it's like Facebook's probably not the best. Uh, probably Instagram, and then just yeah, just keep an eye out for films that I post on YouTube and. Uh, yeah, I would like, I've actually, I've, I've got a handful of, of hunts to, of filmed hunts that I want to put out. I just, I just haven't found time to, to edit. So, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, like you said, whatever I don't end up putting in the festivals, I'll be putting whether Wyoming or my elk or shoot, I've got an, an old, uh, awesome bow hunt, bow uh, elk hunt that I want to put out in the backcountry Idaho. And I just, I just gotta, I just gotta get some editing done. So you got to make some more of that time like you were telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, um, good for you. Right on. Um, yeah, we'll go check you out. I'm definitely going to check out those films. I'll leave you a comment on there um, when I get done. Let's stay in touch, and we'll do it again soon, Zach. Sounds good, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.